I'm Brian O'Connor, lead content editor of No-Till Farmer. Welcome to the latest episode of No-Till Farmer, Influencers and Innovators. New Leaf Symbiotics sponsors this program, featuring stories about the past, present, and future of no-till farming. I encourage you to subscribe to this series, which is available in iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to receive an alert about upcoming episodes as soon as they are released. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, New Leaf Symbiotics, for supporting our No-Till Farmer Influencers and Innovators podcast series. What if you could do more in 2022? TerraSim by New Leaf Symbiotics utilizes the power of microbe technology to increase yield, improve nutrient uptake, and achieve stronger return on investment. And it's now available in convenient planter box application for corn and soybeans. To learn more and sign up for the 2022 risk-free satisfaction promise, visit newleafsim.com 2022. That's newleafsym.com slash 2022. Now here's Frank Lesseter with an introduction about today's guests. In September of 2021, No-Till Farmer commissioned a project to determine the most significant research and publications that assisted in understanding and adoption of no-till agriculture. Randall Reeder, retired ag engineer from Ohio State University, and Don Rakowski, a retired USDA soil scientist, collaborated on a detailed process to complete the large and aggressive project in advance of three important no-till milestones in 2022. Solicitations of the scientific community worldwide yielded 200 plus nominated works for consideration. Volunteer subcommittees helped narrow their rankings for Reeder and Rakowski. The result was the assembly of the 30 most important works in no-till history, 15 for North America and 15 for international. The list and their significance are part of a special display at the 30th Annual National No-Tillage Conference in Louisville, January 4 to 7, 2022. Following the National No-Tillage Conference, they will be available to registered website users and found on the No-Till Farmer website. The online presence will include links to each work's citations, and in some cases, the complete literature. For the 2022 National No-Tillage Conference in Louisville, we're putting together a, a big series of museum boards and what's happening in the history of no-till. And one of the ideas we had was what was the most significant research and publications been done in no-till over the years. And so uh, a few months ago, we went to Randall Reeder and uh, asked him what he could do with this. And uh, Randall, why don't you take it from here and tell us how this got started and how you got Don involved? Well, thank you, Frank. Yeah, it was, I think it was September 19th. I got an email from Mike Lesseter with this uh, idea and I said, well, that sounds fair enough. So in a weak moment, I volunteered <laughs> to work on it and uh, it's evolved uh, over the next month or two, especially bringing in Don, Don Rakowski. So we started out with the idea of recognizing a top 10 research articles in no-till uh, we expanded that a little bit to make it 15 and expanded it to include books, uh, manuals, uh, what I would 
I'm mainly an extension ag engineer. So what I would refer to is extension type publications. And I tell you, I got a man right off the top, including Don Murkowski was the key to this because he not only uh, helped in coming up with the, most of the titles and articles that we considered, but also worked on uh, the international aspect. And, and he can describe that to you. Okay, well, um, I, I was uh, really honored and, and, and pleased to be invited <clears throat> because I have a certain level of passion on, on, on promoting no-till and, and conservation agriculture. And I've been pleased with what the Lesseter brothers or father and son have done in terms of communicating the importance of no-till. And as a, as a soil scientist, I, I want the farmers to understand that there is some research behind some of this no-till and now it's blending into utilizing cover crops and the concept of biodiversity. And, and anything that we can learn from past history should make the uh, learning curve just a little less steep as we go into the future and we understand more and more complex things. So I was just pleased to be a part of this. And I'm also convinced that we're part of a global uh, community. And there's gonna be about nine people on this world that we're gonna to have to make sure are fed appropriately. And the only way I see that happening in a truly sustainable fashion is with the, the hotel and the cover crops and, and the concepts of biodiversity. And so promoting this and identifying some key work in the past should be some starting point for some of the young scientists and the young farmers to uh, jump in and, and learn a little bit and learn from the, um, what we've provided, some of the old guys have provided. So it's a continuous learning process. And I think this is an opportunity to continue that. And I tip my hat to Frank for the putting this on because it's a, it's a one way to enhance the communication. And once we do that, we're gonna get enhanced conservation on the landscape. Well, Don's been a speaker at several of our national no-tillage conferences over the years. And Randall's been a true patriot because he's been to all 30 of them, listened to our lousy jokes for 30 years, but learned a little about no-till. Um, Don, you made an interesting point I'd like to explain to these people. Here in the U.S., we call it no-till, but in the rest of the world, it's pretty much called conservation agriculture, but it's the same? Well, conservation agriculture is looking at a total system, and I, I look at no-till as a, a practice. And so no-till is the foundation of conservation agriculture. It's, it's, it was a starting point, and our forefathers, when the Dust Bowl come through here, realized they couldn't, couldn't exist with that kind of erosion and degradation of the soil. And so the first thing that they did, primarily for economic reasons, but they found out it cut down on erosion, was starting to decrease the tillage and went through uh, conservation tillage to no-till, and now we're talking about minimum soil disturbance. So the, the only thing that is different between conservation agriculture and no-till is that we are adding these three principles. One is no-till or minimum disturbance, but the second one is continuous uh, organic biomass cover on the soil surface and diverse rotations and biodiversity in the cover crop mixes. And I think that what's happening as we use soil health terminology and regenerative agri agriculture terminology, we have to understand the soil is a living system and we have to treat it with tender love and care 
so that it circulates those nutrients and carbon for us so we can produce an, uh, a sustainable, uh, have a sustainable food security. So this program that we put together and ask you to put together the research and the manuals and everything, nothing, nothing, Randall, nothing's ever been done like this before in the no-till area? That's true. So this is really innovative and I think it's got a great future. So when we ask you to take this on, you got Don involved and the, the uh, eventual outcome is you named the top 15 pieces of education of most importance for no-till in the United States. And then Don worked on getting the most important ones in the world other than in North America. So tell us how you went about gathering these papers and getting the nominations and the thoughts. I think you told me that you ended up with like 208 nominations of different papers and research reports, manuals, et cetera? Yes, and Don was the key on this. He had a colleague, I think at Cornell, that has over 2,000, uh, a listing of over 2,000. Uh, Don was a key on this. He went through those lists and pulled up the ones that he felt were most important, uh, both in North America and internationally. Um, and for the North America uh, group, uh, we narrowed it down to uh, about, about 100. Uh, I need to add also that right off the bat, we added key people across, and I'll talk about North America, across the country. Uh, so we ended up with about 15 people on a list, and those folks were asked to nominate research articles, and we got some from that. So when it came time to vote and narrow it down a little bit with some editing and eliminating some duplications, we ended up with about 75 or 80 that that group was asked to vote on. And I think I ended up with 11 people that voted and ranked what ended up being the top 15 in North America. For me in the international group, um, I'm, I have to apologize that some of that reflects some of my biases, but in, in retirement, I have about, uh, I think, five book chapters on, on conservation agriculture. And so I borrowed the, the reference list from most of those chapters to put it together. But I also solicited input from a few of my colleagues that I know quite well around the world. And uh, the first reaction was, well, you can't do that. That's impossible. There's so many articles out there. And I says, well, we were asked to do this and we're trying to figure out if we can find way, some way to start this process and learn from the process so that we can communicate better and, and educate more people about the science background of the no-till and, and conservation agriculture systems. And so I, I did get a few additional suggestions from oh, maybe seven or eight colleagues. It uh, wasn't a large number but it was uh, significant to me that they were, were willing to contribute that. And so my hope is that the next time we go around on this, this type of a project that we will find some creative way to get more participation so we get a better representation uh, of, of the work that's out there because I'm, I'm sure we missed a few of them that, are, that are not in, were not included, but I can only do so much in terms of bringing them together. So. Basically, it was, it was that simple, but the, the, the real success goes to the analysis of that with Bree, our associate that 
did most of the work on that. And um, uh, for an old guy like me, that meant, meant a lot to make the analysis simplified. And that's Bree Greenewald of our staff, who I think came up with some idea to get him ranked with through Survey Monkey and made it work. Made your job a much much easier, I think. Yes, and we, I I tip my hat to her because that was made a, made my job easy because I didn't understand some of the principles. They, they seemed to come to her very quickly, and um, we I hope to utilize that intellect uh, in some of our future efforts. Right, that's brief for you. If you take care of problems, she can usually figure out how to how to get it done. We'll come back to the conversation in just a moment. Before we do so, thanks to New Leaf Symbiotics for supporting our No-Till and Farmer Influencers and Innovators podcast series. What if you could do more in 2022? TerraSim by New Leaf Symbiotics utilizes the power of microbe technology to increase yield, improve nutrient uptake, and achieve stronger return on investment. And it's now available in convenient planter box application for corn and soybeans. To learn more and sign up for the 2022 Risk-Free Satisfaction Promise, visit newleafsim.com slash 2022. That's newleafsym.com slash 2022. Now let's get back to Frank Lesseter, Don Rakowski, and Randall Reeder. I think what you said is right. There's people who said you can't do this, but now that we've done it, and if we do it again in the future, people will say, how come this paper was left out or whatever, and you'll get more reaction than uh, people see it could be done. Um, Randall, I, I noticed uh, one of the ones in your 15 was the 1943 book, Plowman's Folly. So you went back quite a ways and uh, up until papers had just been recently. But uh, Plowman's Folly, I can remember my dad had a copy in the in the mid-1940s, and I still have the original copy around. There's a variety of items in there. You think we need to do this again in five years? No, uh, definitely. And I'm glad Mike suggested that. I think, I think really that's a key. <laughs> uh, think about it. Uh, with all the ones that we had nominated and all the future no-till articles and conservation agriculture uh, research articles that are going to be written, uh, <laughs> the fact that a paper finished ranked 16th and got left out of the list uh, this means that it's still going to be uh, available and eligible in the future, kind of like the Pro Football Hall of Fame. If you don't get in this year, you might get elected next year. So by keeping the option open, and I don't think it's an option anymore, Frank. I think you're you're stuck with it. We're going to do this again in about five years, and it might be uh, top 10 or whatever added to that list, and this will continue. I think there's another Two advantages. One, the uh, outstanding papers that did not make the top 15 this year uh, will still be eligible. And also in the next five years, uh, there may be and probably will be more articles, more research written. And this will give a potential goal for young faculty members, for example, uh, to uh, do good publications and have the opportunity to be right by uh, the National No-Till Conference. Well, what's happening here is we're not going to let the cat out of the bag yet, but uh, museum boards at the National No-Tillage Conference in Louisville will have these uh, posting of all these 15 papers 
both from North America and the 15 International. And then in the, this will also be in the uh, February issue of our Conservation Tillage Guide, the magazine. So not only people who went to the conference will get to see this, but all our subscribers will too, and that will be mailed in early January. But when you came up with the 15 top, each one of you, you, you went back and wrote a maybe a hundred word description of each of these. So tell us about how that went. That must have been kind of tough to do. Well, it was educational. Let's put it that way. Don gave me a lot of help on that. A couple of these articles that I, I couldn't find, but he had uh, resources for it. And going through, in some cases, it was just a matter of reading the abstract and conclusions and uh, writing a little significant statement mm -hmm. based on that. Others, I read a lot more of the articles. And as I said, it was quite an education for me to go through the process of writing those significant uh, statements. Right. How about you, Don? Yeah, I, I, I think that, well, part of my process was some of the keywords or the buzzwords in the title. And that, that sort of gets your attention. But then if you go on and read the abstract or read a little bit about the methods or, or the conclusions in the paper, uh, that, that is just sort of repeating the conclusions of the authors rather than reflecting my analysis of the work. And so I, I think the important thing is that, that we're learning from some historical perspective and it helps shorten the, the learning curve for us so that we don't remake the wheel. When we have good information that's got a science foundation, let's build on that rather than starting from scratch remaking the wheel. And so summaries and with each of the articles re reflects a little by gosh and by golly, but at the same time, I tried to make it reflect what the authors intended from primarily from the abstract or the, the summary area uh, within, that, within that manuscript. Well, we're not going to mention what the papers were. I'm going to tell you a story, and I don't know if you people know this, the two of you know this or not, but one of the papers in there is a paper, Don, that you and Rattan La from uh, Ohio State did on the evolution of the plow over 10,000 years. And Julie Gerlach of our staff had found out that uh, when Faulkner's book came out, there was a guy in Iowa, Walter Jack, who really believed in the plow. And he wrote a uh, disagreement with what Faulkner said in Plowman's Folly. And we're doing a history series all during the coming year since it's the 50th anniversary of No-Till Farmer. And Mike Lesseter tracked down his great-grandson, who is an author in a educator at a college in uh, Northern Illinois. And he wrote about a 1500 word piece on his great grandfather and how he totally believed in the plow and how he did not agree with uh, Faulkner. And then yet the interesting thing is, is this gentleman's dad farms in Iowa is in the devout no-tiller today. So uh, uh, it's interesting how we track this down. Did either did you people find any surprises uh, or shocks or something anything like that when you did this study? I didn't see any surprises. Let me put it that way. And I was quite pleased that a couple of these articles, in fact, you mentioned one of them, uh, talked about the history yeah. of civilization and the history of agriculture, and uh, pointed out one example. <laughs> when you, if you read the Bible in the Old Testament, the uh, 
Moses talked about the land of milk and honey. In other words, it's entirely productive agriculture in what we now call the Middle East. And now so much of that land has eroded away down to bedrock. It's uh, very little productivity on anything that's sloping. So I think that was one thing that in a way pleased me <laughs> that we can look at something 2000 years of history and see what can happen. And I, I, I focused on it here in Ohio. I wrote a little article focused on farmers and said, have you thought about what your land might be like in a thousand or 2000 years from now? Mm-hmm. And I think that's important for us to think that way. Right. The question is whether there was uh, any, any surprises to us. Right. From my perspective, the one thing that I really appreciated was that uh, and from a global perspective, uh, there's a lot of small farmers, less than two hectares in South Africa that are using some of these same principles. And it's, um, it's one aspect of the, the no-till and the conservation agriculture that's gone against their traditions for, for many years. But it seems to be uh, relatively well accepted, and um, but but it's still you know it's a little bit like in the U.S. Uh, we haven't got 100% participation yet. So the uh, the larger industrial agricultures in, in, in Europe and that are still plow heavy, if you will, in terms of their their type of tillage, and uh, there's there's some real challenges there, and the tradition of agriculture for the last 10,000 years has always required that we stir the soil to plant the seed. And what my weed scientist friends tell me is that when you stir the soil, all you do is recycle and restir the weed seed bank, bringing up a fresh batch that will germinate and emerge. And our friend Dwayne Beck says that if if village was good for weed control, we would have had the problem solved 100 years ago. Well, all we're doing is exacerbating the problem. That was a, two interesting things that come out of it from my perspective. Hey, I want to wrap this up, but I want to say thanks to both of you for taking on the challenge of doing this. And I think that what turned out is a remarkable project and something that's uh, really good for, for farmers, for educators and researchers around the world. So I want to say we really appreciate you doing this for us. So thank you to Don and thank you to Randall. We really appreciate it. Okay. Well, you're more than welcome. And that, uh, if I could quote uh, uh, Sadie Makomba from uh, South Africa, and Mike picked up on this, is that knowledge not shared is knowledge wasted. And what we're doing with this is bringing back some of this knowledge that's been established over the years in these publications and making it more available to the broader community. And that kind of communication results in synergistic benefits that equal one plus one in terms of, one plus one equals three in terms of impact. And I appreciate, Frank, your attitude. Your book is another example of that. And your effort in in recalling the history is a way to enhance our future quality of life. And so you get a attaboy from Don. All right. And the the quote you had from South Africa shows up on his museum boards. So. Well, I give Mike, I mentioned it and Mike picked up on it very quickly. And the fact that he picked up on it quickly showed me that he was in my same line of thinking about communicating and trying to improve uh, the, the quality of life for everyone. So, But I appreciate both of you doing this. 
Both of you have a great holiday and thank you very much. Take care. Okay. Thanks for the opportunity and have a good holiday. Thanks to Frank Lesseter, Don Rakowski, and Randall Reeder for today's conversation. And thanks to our sponsor, New Leaf Symbiotics, for helping to make possible the No-Till Farmer Influencers and Innovators podcast series. Thanks for tuning in to the No-Till Farmer Influencers and Innovators podcast. You can find more podcasts about no-till topics and strategies at notillfarmer.com slash podcasts. If you have any feedback on today's episode, please feel free to email me at b-o-c-o-n-n-o-r at lessonermedia.com or call me at 262-777-2413. And don't forget that Frank would love to answer your questions about no-till and the people and innovations that have made an impact on today's practices. So please email your questions to us at listenermail at no-tillfarmer.com. Once again, if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast to get an alert as soon as future episodes are released. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. For Frank Lesseter and our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm lead content editor Brian O'Connor. Thanks for listening. And we're doing both audio and video. We, we don't know what we would do with the video, but we thought we would like to have it in case we had some use for it. Well, why didn't you tell me to dress up then? Well, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I heard you guys talking about shirts and that, and it sounded like Randall got dressed up for it. Well, yeah, but nobody's got a tie on, so farmers don't believe people have got ties on. <laughs>